and welcome to Bonnie's Activist Archives. I'm your host, Bonnie Freeman. I hope you enjoy my interview of Dave Ridley. This was originally just a phone call interview where I was taking notes, but towards the end, you'll hear Ridley ends up suggesting that I just post it as a podcast, and I realized it was interesting enough that it would be great to listen to as a podcast. At least I would enjoy it. Um, and I did enjoy this talk with him. I chose to interview Dave Ridley of RidleyReport.com first in a series of, I don't know if they're going to be blog posts, probably blog posts and tweets, and now also podcast interviews of early activists, um, early movers to the Free State Project in New Hampshire. Because I just think this history needs to be known by the new movers that are coming in. People need to... Get more active, and I, I think that this is ex- extremely inspiring for that. And I just think that there was such a great culture right at the beginning. A lot more people were really excited. That's the culture I would love to live in every single day. Just people who are excited to stand up to the government and find other people that are like-minded. Dave Ridley is one of the best activists in New Hampshire. Like I said, he does the Ridley Report on Odyssey and BitChute. He's famous for doing things like ambush interviews. And I could always interview him again if there's anything maybe that people really want to know about because there's a lot of doors that are open from this. There's so much activism to go over just from Dave Ridley that it's hard to get it all. So I hope you enjoy. So here it is. Well, let's just get right into it. My first question is, when did you move to New Hampshire? Oh, it would have been August of 2004. And you came from Colorado, right? No, I was living in Texas at the time. I was working at a TV station in Dallas, and I moved from Dallas. Yeah, and, people associate people associate me with Colorado because I grew up there. Okay. Um, yeah. Were you doing activism in Dallas before you moved to New Hampshire? Not much. Um, I didn't do any activism there until I joined the Free State Project, at which point I did some project, some activism for the Free State Project in Dallas, if that makes sense. Okay. And yeah, un- unofficially. Unofficially. I was just, you know, I made my own flyers. I put them up. I chalked, you know, our URL on things. I, I you know, we, we did one or two. It's actually just probably just one demonstration, you know, where we... Uh, I guess we hung out in front of an IRS office or, uh, uh, you know, a post office during on, on April 15th as everyone was coming there to pay their taxes. Hmm. Uh, we handed out Free State Project literature there. Okay, so what inspired you to start doing the kind of activism you do now once you got to New Hampshire? Uh, let's see. Well, I guess it, by by the activism I do now, how would you define that? You know, um, just, well, ambush interviews, just what inspired you to do activism at all when you got to New Hampshire? Oh, well, yeah, I would just, the fact that I was in New Hampshire definitely just made an uptick. But uh, I just couldn't wait to get here to start doing more stuff because I felt pretty limited in Dallas. I could only do sort of do electronic stuff and I could, hand, I could put up free state project flyers, but I couldn't do much else in Dallas. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I guess I just had this idea before I came here. I was just looking forward to making my first talk radio call. <laughs> and I was looking forward to getting, you know, in front of some government building with a sign anywhere 
and I would just do things that weren't really, <laughs> they weren't really very useful or practical. Like I would just stand by myself with a sign at an IRS office, outside an IRS office that, that, that said something against the IRS or whatnot. And I'd get a homeless person maybe walking by to take my picture. <laughs> and uh, it would it would be on film and it would have to be just complicated to get it on the internet. And um, so uh, it was just, you know, just, just wanted to get anything done. But of course, over time, it got more efficient. Yeah. So when did the Ridley Report start? That was 2007. So that would have been three years after I moved. Uh, and... Uh, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I can't, I'm not sure I can tell you what my first video is. I'm not sure I remember which, which one was first. Uh, it may have been something like from a Ron Paul event, like, like just taking pictures of us standing around on a, on a, on an intersection or something like that. Do you know if you were the first uh, Free State Project mover to Keene? No, um, it was probably Cat Canning. I'm not sure sure about that it might have been don lincoln um i would have been you know more like the or maybe varen swearingen all of them were before me um so i could have been more like a tenth you know would be probable um did you vote for new hampshire in the free estate project thing yeah, I was originally a Wyoming supporter, but I went and visited Wyoming in 2003 to check it out. And although I did love it, I determined that it was actually not as likely to succeed uh, in, you know, in terms of freedom. Uh, and I also determined that I would do better financially in New Hampshire. So I voted against, I voted New Hampshire first and Wyoming second and Idaho third. And do you remember the first time you got arrested in New Hampshire? Uh, no, I've completely blocked it out. <laughs> oh, wow. No, no, I'm kidding. Oh. Um, the um, uh, first one was, um, so I I went, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. I, I went, I, I, I did this, yeah, one of the early types of activism I would do before YouTube is I would just walk into a government office with a sign and just stand there until they made me leave. And I wouldn't say anything. <laughs> It would be like a silent protest, and I would just have a flyer written up, and the flyer would explain why I was there, you know, what I was complaining about. And so I'd have these wildly varying reactions, you know, to these. But, but by and large, any any New Hampshire government office or any, like like if it was a state office or a local office in New Hampshire, people were almost always friendly and nice to me. Um, and... Um, uh, but one of the offices I went into was the IRS office in Nashville. So I just walked in there with a sign. I don't remember what it said. It's, I, think, I think the sign said, is it right to work for the IRS? Hmm. <clears throat> and I handed out a couple of flyers, you know, urging them to, uh, you know, give bigger tax returns or stop, stop prosecuting, you know, stop persecuting Ed Brown, stop persecuting Russell Canning. <clears throat> um, and these were people who had done wildly different types of activism against the IRS, but they were being bothered in one way or another. And um, so uh, they were really terse. Uh, one lady was nice, but most of the people in the office were really terse that I was in there. Uh, and um, eventually the, the the head of the office, who I guess uh, I've forgotten her name now. I knew it for a long time. Uh, but but she came out and, you know, 
she looked pretty angry, angry that I was there. And she said, I'd like you to leave. Uh, and I kept trying to hand her a flyer, but I did start walking out backwards slowly. <laughs> and, uh, about the time that I got, you know, uh, after I proceeded about 30 yards toward the exit of the building there in Nashua, uh, the police showed up. Um, they were terse as well. They were really unfriendly. Um, and, uh, they backed me all the way out the building slowly. And, um, they tried to stop me from recording. Uh, and back at that time, I didn't have a camera. I pulled out my phone. I was going to, I was going to record the interaction and they threatened me. If I recorded them, they'd arrest me. Uh, so at that time I was easier to convince to do things. <laughs> so I did, I did not record. And then, um, uh, so there's no video of any of this. And this is, this is 2000, 2000, I guess it was early 2006. Okay. And, uh, maybe not early 2006, but it was sometime in 2006. And, um, uh, in any way, so as I was walking out of the parking lot, uh, Homeland Security then arrived. Whoa. So you can see how, how different the reaction is, right? <laughs> you know, when when you're doing this at the at the fascist federal level, as as opposed to you know the mildly authoritarian New Hampshire level. Yeah, that's crazy. Did they uh, Homeland Security arrested you? <clears throat> they just drove right past me at first. Uh, three weeks later, they appeared at my house. Whoa. Uh, Although I, I was living in someone else's house, I was I was just renting a room in Kat Jennings' house. But they showed up there. Uh, I wasn't there at the time, and um, uh, they wanted to arrange a meeting with me, right? Uh, so eventually, I did meet with a homeland security operative uh, in Nashua. With I brought friends instead of trying to get instead of trying to film it. We I just brought friends because again we had a wiretapping law in New Hampshire and we didn't really know what would happen if you tried to film someone they didn't want you filming them. Uh, yeah. So we were more cautious back then. So no one filmed anything. There was just this interaction between me and uh, and the security official, and he just handed me a ticket. Basically, that's a hundred twenty-five dollar fine. You broke a rule that says uh, you're not allowed to. You know, it's the it's ban on distribution of handbills. You are not allowed to hand out flyers at, a, at at government offices, federal government offices. And did he, when did you end up getting arrested for that? Because I know that you got arrested for that, but first he gets it the, took you a the long, ticket. It took a long, yeah, a long time. So they kept bringing, bringing me to court trying to make me, first of all, trying to find me guilty. You know, I, instead of just paying the fine, I just went to court. Um, they set a date for me and I went in there and they, and made them prosecute me. Uh, <clears throat> and they found it guilty and said, okay, you, wow. uh, you owe the $125 and you can, you can pay it on your way out. But I just left. I didn't pay it. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't announce that I had not paid it. Um, but anyway, you know, so at the court, in the court event that uh, we had, you know, a lot of supporters there and everything. Uh, over the right to hand out flyers, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, 
And um, each time I would go to court, I would just assume that I might have to be arrested. So it was kind of logistic, kind of a logistical challenge. I'd have to park, you know, find a place to put my car that would be safe and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and get my bills paid um, in advance and stuff like that. Um, so, but I would go back to federal court for other things. Like we would go in, I would go in there more often back in those days, actually. Um, and, uh, one, and I just still, I just never just didn't pay the fine. And so I would keep going back to court and then eventually they're like, Hey, you're in our court and you haven't paid our fine yet. So here's a little, uh, here's another little piece of paper. Uh, and they would, you know, home, the Homeland Security director would come deliver it to me in person, which I took as kind of a compliment. Yeah, wow, that's so weird. And I mean, like he, like the, he, oh, what he, he would be considered, he was the, he was the head of Homeland Security for Northern New England. I guess that was his title. Uh, Mike Mike Therrien. <laughs> so we we got to know each other, Mike Therrien and I, um, and. Um, uh, along about this time, there was there was another uh, federal confrontation going on with a different kind of activist. It was the Ed Brown situation. Are you yep. familiar with that? Mm-hmm. So this is a guy who later led a standoff against the federal government um, at his property. Uh, but he was going through IRS issues at the time and having to be in court and stuff like that. So uh, there would be points in time where I would... I would be at federal court, you know, either to watch him go through his trial or uh, to protest against his treatment or whatnot. And um, so, let's see. So anyway, uh, so it kind of, it probably made the two cases seem a little bit conflated in the minds of the feds. Since I, I considered that a friend, you know, because I had known him for a, a while before. I, I, had, I had, He had called me before I even moved to New Hampshire. Um, cause I was, I was answering the, um, the free state project, uh, I was answering their call in line for a while mm-hmm. and he was one of the people that called in to find out what we were all about, you know, Ed Brown. And he, yeah, he called the, he called the, uh, the, the free state project information line, I guess in early 2000, probably mm-hmm. early 2004. Okay. Um, so wait, why did you uh, bring up Ed Brown? Did you end up doing anything with his standoff? I did, but that was later on, uh, and it's a little bit complicated. And I'm probably the story is probably already complicated enough, so I should probably I should probably treat the Ed Brown uh, situation somewhat separately, just to avoid confusion. Yes, but it is, and it, it is an interesting story of its own. So anyway, that that's, that the, the relevance there is that that's what brought me into the federal building a, a few times while I was under this you know, order to pay a fine, I wouldn't pay. I'm not going to give, I, w- I was reluctant to hand them money, right? Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, because I just think there's, a, I think there's some ethical constraints we're supposed to live under. <laughs> yeah, like, get, <laughs> you know, like giving people money give, for yeah, just handing out bills. You, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, there, there's a reason why it's illegal to, you know, send money to a mafia, right? Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, they'll put people in jail for doing that. Um, but this bunch, the IRS is even worse than a mafia. Um, so it it felt to me like it would be even worse to send them money. So um, one day you're just in that federal courthouse and they just snatched you up. 
Well, no, uh, they just tried to get me to come to another hearing. So they, they, they created a show cause hearing to try and determine why, uh, why I hadn't paid the fine yet. Um, and so I went in and, um, and so this revealed to everyone that I hadn't paid the fine yet. Cause again, I never, I never, I didn't, I wasn't openly refusing to pay the fine. I just didn't feel like I should pay the fine. Uh, and that would give them the option if they wanted to, they could just walk away and no one, no one would even know that they had never received their fine. Right. Hmm. And they have kind of done things like that before, I guess. But, um, no, in this case, the prosecutor kept coming after me. They would always send a different prosecutor. They had a whole squadron of prosecutors. And, um, so, uh, yeah, this, this second hearing, I guess it was at this second hearing that um, the judge compared me to Elaine Brown. He said, I sound like Elaine Brown, uh, who's hmm. Ed Brown's wife. Yeah. Uh, but she was, compl- you know, she had made some complaint about the government. I guess my complaint sounded, some sounded similar to hers. Um, but, um, <clears throat> and when he said, when he said her name, everyone in the audience stood up and started cheering and clapping. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so, and then he scolded the audience. He said, she's bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> she stole a piece of government property that we had attached to her leg <laughs> you know, or something like that, you know. And um, and people cheered louder. And at some point, he, he just he just he, he, he got to his feet and fled the room. <laughs> wow. So it's one of the reasons why you really should have video in court. <laughs> yeah. How many people uh, do you think were attending about? Well, it was just about 20 people. I, he wasn't, I don't nice. think he was physically afraid of the crowd, you know, or anything like that. He was just flustered and angry and off he went, you know, <clears throat> there were, there were moments, you know, where he showed, you know, he showed his humanity, you know, and he, he would, he would laugh at us sometimes and he did scold the prosecution for a lot of things, but ultimately he was going to, you know, he was going to send me away if he, if he needed to. And uh, so anyway, he left the scene and I was, I was not sure what, am I under arrest? Am I free to go? <laughs> There's no judge present. Uh, I guess I'll just leave. Hmm. And um, <clears throat> so they scheduled another hearing for me later on to show cause why I still hadn't paid the fine after being asked why I hadn't paid the fine. And uh, so at the third hearing, I think it was, they, they said, all right, all right, you're, are you going to pay the fine or not? And I kept saying, no. So, um, uh, or I, I think I, I might have just said, you know, am I required to answer your questions or something like mm-hmm. that? Um, so anyway, so okay, fine. I sentence you to four days incarceration to be served immediately. And you got up and gaveled and stormed out of the room again. And uh, this time the marshals came for me. And so I just, I walked really slowly with them out of the room. Mm-mm. And um, And, uh, just to make sure, this was in the federal courthouse that's like where Ian had his trial in Concord? Yes, yeah, Concord Federal Court building. Okay, so the marshals came and got you? One Warren Redmond Court or whatever. Yeah, yeah, Warren, I don't know, something like that. Warren Warren Redmond. Redmond, oh yeah, Redmond, Ian says. Um, So once they came and got you, what jail did you go to then? So then they shipped me off to Massachusetts in this uh, rickety um, van 
with no no seatbelt, but my hands were tied. Like I think it was my my hands were tied behind my back. So I was if there had been any kind of wreck, I would have been slammed into the in mean, the normal type of wreck. I would have been slammed into the front of the vehicle at high speed. Uh, if there, if there had been a rollover, my neck would have snapped. Oh. So it was it was like a you know a nerve wracking drive all the way to you know it's probably about an hour drive to get me to the place they were going to hold. Initially, they held me inside the court house, uh, you know, for about six hours, I guess, uh, waiting transport to Massachusetts. And that doesn't count towards your four days, does it? The six hours you had to wait. Yeah. And uh, the marshals, you know, at the courthouse, when before I, before they sent me to Massachusetts, they treated me fairly well. Uh, and then they sent me off to Massachusetts, where I would be a complete unknown and just another inmate. Um, and so, so I got there. And so <clears throat> we had practiced, or uh, you know, theorized as what kinds of things might be appropriate to do during a jail stay that might maximize the effect of of the jail stay. Uh, and one of these. Uh, one of these options was uh, we learned some things from this group called the Embassy of Heaven out in uh, Oregon. They're like, uh, you know, obviously a religious organization that didn't want to follow the government's rules. And uh, evangelicals, basically, hardcore evangelicals. Uh, And they had some ideas, uh, like, for instance, that you should not provide information to uh, your captors. Because uh, that messes with their bureaucracy. You shouldn't so, give any information to your abductors, like in jail? So, yeah, when I arrived in Massachusetts, they wanted to process me, and I and I gridlocked them by just refusing to provide them information, basically. Uh, at least, you know, date of birth and stuff like that. Um, and so that, they, they kind of, they wound up having to put me in solitary confinement, which took up more of their time and resources and it got all complicated. And there was one of the guys who was processing me. You know, he had a real nice demeanor, and he, was, he, uh, he, he you know, he seemed like he respected me. But um, he was saying, "Well, we, you know, don't don't give my people grief. You know, please, you know, answer these questions for for us and so forth." And 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 I said, "You know, if, if you were told to, would you try to torture that information out of me? You know, my date of birth and stuff like that. If you received an order to do that, would you follow it?" And he said, yes. Whoa. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he said, but this is not Afghanistan. I've been to Afghanistan, and this is not the, that, and we're not going to do that to you. He probably he probably um, did it there. <laughs> who knows? There was a group of uh, rogue guards that worked there uh, called the Ninjas, I guess, uh, and they were known, known to torment inmates. inmates. It was, you know, I, I guess it was, I think this was, I'm t- actually, I don't remember the name of the jail now or where it was in Massachusetts. It's been so long. I should Google it. I'm thinking it was Essex. Hmm. Uh, but um, that's kind of embarrassing to forget it. But I, like I said, I've, I guess it's okay to have forgotten more activism <laughs> than other people have done, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. So was that but, the first time you yeah, ever went to jail anywhere? That was it. That was the first time. So, 
like you've never been to jail in Texas or anything for any other reason? Correct. Yeah, well, that's pretty scary. So you went into solitary confinement. How did you pass the time there? Yeah, well, actually, I should go back a little bit. Before I got to solitary confinement, they put me in a thing called the tank. So you're mm-hmm. with like 10 other dudes in a relatively small space. And um, so another trick that I learned from the Embassy of Heaven was like, uh, you want to you wanna make friends fast. You just, you get some food and then you give it to somebody or you hand, or you volunteer it. You know, you like, hey, here I am. Hey, anybody want my lunch? Um, and you, you just, you offer it to the first person that wants it, basically. And so I'm immediately the most popular guy in the tank. (laughs) (laughs) And then I start plotting and scheming, right? Like, so, hey, what, you know, um, uh, what are some things that can be done to bother the guard? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and stuff stuff like that. And uh, starting to make friends and so forth. Um, I'm not real good at that, making friends, but uh, it did seem to work uh, most of the time in this jail. And, uh, you know, they told me, you know, the tank is about as good as it gets. It doesn't get any better than where you are right now. (laughs) And sure enough, they wound up taking me to, um, solitary and they kept wanting information from me. They said, well, so we don't get any information from you that that we can't let you have clothes. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So they they had all my clothes and they put me in the thing they would be called putting someone in paper. So they gave me they gave me a paper gown to wear like I was going to be in surgery. So it was basically like being naked. Wow. And they put me in this room with all these suspicious brown blotches over everything. I felt like I was one of the IRA blanket men. Um, so you're familiar with what the British did to, to some of their uh, prisoners in Ireland. No, I've never um, heard of the blanket men. They would, they would, um, well, it was sort of more what the prisoners did to themselves actually to be fair to the British government. It's complicated, but I felt kind of like that. And, um, so, um, the, uh, so then they got my glasses, right. At some point they were going to, they just wanted to, they wanted to borrow my glasses for a second. They sort of didn't come back. So Mm. I was essentially blinded in there. And, uh, so I spent, spend this sort of naked blurry night in solitary confinement. Um, but, almost immediately I started receiving mail and a lot of it. It, it felt like I was having, I felt like I was having a fairly efficient, a fairly efficient impact, if that makes any sense. And people, the word started kind of spreading that, Hey, there's this guy who's refusing to give them information. They've got him, they've got him locked up without glasses. You know, so the <laughs> word started spreading and I felt like I was starting to, you know, become a minor celebrity. And, um, the guards would keep coming by and they want to know what was going on. Who is this guy? What's going on? What is this? You know, and the, the first guard came by and he said, so you, 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 know, you tell me your story. And I told him a little bit. And I also told him, you know, I had a, uh, I, I was part of this group called nhfree.com and, and there were about, you know, a hundred thousand people who were following my situation. They were the listeners of free talk. It was probably more like 50,000 at the time, you know, listeners of free talk live were following my situation. And, um, you know, and, and, and I, I would be receiving some mail shortly, probably from some of them. And he said, oh, well, I, I w- you had me go in there, but now I don't believe anything you say. <laughs> I can't, I don't believe you have 50,000 people following you. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, bye. And the next day he came back, oh, oh, you're part of a cult. <laughs> <laughs> 
next, the next day he realized, oh, there's all kinds of people and you're a militia and uh, whatever. So now he had to admit that I had a lot of followers, but they were just militia people. <laughs> wow. <laughs> He would always come by and he'd keep me entertained, you know, and, and he was the guy that stole my glasses, right? Uh, but you got to, you know, you have to learn to love the people that are hurting you. He eventually brought them back. Okay. Um, and I think at some point he asked me, so, all right, I have just one question for you, sir. Are you, are you a threat to yourself or others? And this I did answer. I said, no. Yeah. And he said, ah, 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 now we can put you in general population. So I, that, that kind of cost me my solitary confinement. <laughs> um, did you uh, but, want to be uh, in solitary confinement? Yeah, pretty much. It takes up more of their resources and space. Hmm. That's funny. Um, and it's a little bit easier to sleep. Um, but uh, they gave me some clothes at that point, and they put me in with a room with about 10 other people. And uh, so I was able to... Uh, so then I was able to start getting resupplied. So I was like, hey, does anybody have a pencil I can use? And uh, does anyone have so all these things they wouldn't let me have? All these other guys had them and they would lend them to me and so forth. And um, and then at some point, I guess I was sort of, I must have been standing in the middle of the room and trading a bunch of stuff. And we were starting to kind of organize. And the guard came in and goes, what are you, what's going on here? <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm starting a nonviolent revolution in your jail, Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> he's all right. Well, just just keep it nonviolent, <laughs> you know? wow. uh, or something like that. And he left. And but I realized that again, it started to feel a little bit, you know, comfortable and a little bit carnival atmosphere. But I was I was reminded of the dangers, you know, when I said I, I don't remember what I said, but then one guy said, you know, you could be a Fed, right? So the suspicion and the danger was right back on the table. Hmm. A guy said to you that you could be a Fed. Yeah, he said, you know, this guy. He said, this guy leading this whatever violent, nonviolent revolution. He could be just trapping us, and he could be just a Fed. Hmm. So he started kind of trying to turn the other guys against me a little bit. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And uh, so that was a reminder that it's still dangerous. It's still, you know, uh, catch and go. Uh, but pretty soon I was released. You know, so it was just a short stay. It was a chance to kind of experiment and see what works and doesn't work. There was another lesson that I learned, another kind of hard lesson, is that there was something, there was something I was not doing that they wanted me to do. Uh, I can't remember what it was exactly, um, but um, like I initially didn't do it, and then maybe an hour later I did it, right? So it was perceived as backing down. Does that make sense? Hmm. And yeah. so one of the guards, uh, they had a female, a female guard came in and said, Hey, I heard you get, I heard you, I heard you, uh, back down on that thing. Ha ha ha. Wow. <laughs> it was such a minor thing. I don't even remember what it was, but maybe it was maybe some piece of information that they got out of me or something. Uh, but <clears throat> that, that's another, that's a lesson that I learned is you, once you've, you know, carved out some space, you kind of got to hang on to it. You got to live with it. Uh, you you, you want to you you want to give yourself room to escalate, but you can't you can't de-escalate unless maybe they de-escalate first. Hmm. So they only made you serve the four days, right? Like they didn't make you serve more for not giving info. Correct. And so that was your first arrest. We can't really talk about the walking backwards with Joe Biden one. So what would you say was your favorite activism that you've ever done? 
Well, I guess I should wrap up this story. When they let me out, I, I, as soon as I got out of the federal building, there were, um, they, they took me back to Concord. There were all, uh, you know, like five or 10 activists outside demonstrating and waiting for me to be released. So I was released right into the hands of a demonstration as opposed to <laughs> by myself. Nice. But uh, yeah, what were, you, what were you asking about that? Oh, yeah. So like, yeah. So uh, in answer to your question, I am uh, restricted from answering questions about the event you're discussing. Yeah. Uh, and and instru- I am instructed to direct you to Nashua District Court records. Uh, and that will tell you anything you want to know about that incident in 2011, uh, such as what may or may not have happened, such as what the government may have been uh, doing or not doing, that sort of thing. If I wanted to look that up, would I have to look up, like, tell them just David Ridley walking backwards incident? I, I have the videos from uh, Ridley Report, but... You, you, you can talk about it all you want, but I can't. Yeah. I just meant yeah. uh, me and you don't have to. Um, so what was maybe like your favorite activism you ever did that you thought was probably your best? Um, I guess it's just... Uh, I guess it really comes down to the number of hits on YouTube usually. Uh, so um, I think are the number of people that found out that it happened. It doesn't really matter. It, it matters what you did, but what really matters is how many people know you did it. So uh, this was not particularly spectacular activism, but there was just a video that I shot in 2013, I think, where I I went to a demonstration where there were a bunch of pro-welfare people demonstrating. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started asking questions and they started freaking out. (laughs) And one gal called the police on, so there were counter demonstrators, anti-welfare people, she called police on the counter demonstrators because she said they didn't have a permit to hold signs. <laughs> wow. Was this in New Hampshire? <laughs> yeah, this was in Concord. Concord? Um, wow. And it was related to, I guess, they, they were demonstrating in favor of Medicaid expansion, I guess. They wanted Medicaid to expand. Uh, and uh, so anyway, so the police show up and I filmed their interaction with, with the snitch, right? So the snitch is like, yeah, I see these people and they, they, they didn't get a permit. We got a permit to demonstrate <laughs> on, on this sidewalk. <laughs> and and um, they didn't, so they shouldn't be able to hold signs. And, and the cop is uh, just spreading his hands, uh, permit? <laughs> I'm not aware of any permit that you would require to demonstrate, um, you know, in a, on a random sidewalk like this. Uh, and so anyway, that video that video of her knocking us out got i almost i think it's at three million hits now almost and so that would have to be that would have to qualify as a piece of activism just because all i did was just stand there and run a camera for a few minutes and i got three million hits so that's good that's nice and i guess those were the days when you could get more views yeah now it's more like 300 would that's, you s- that's the nat- that's the nature of deplatforming, right? We could talk about that. So you've moved Dave Ridley, I mean, sorry, Ridley report onto Odyssey only, and well, Odyssey and BitChute because you don't want to b- go on YouTube because you don't want to get more strikes. And besides, they're deplatforming you anyway. 
Yeah, if, if I kept uploading YouTube videos, then they would have taken down the whole channel. So, so this way, at least the, that video I shot with 3 million hits, it's still there, and you can still find it on YouTube, and it's still getting a lot of hits. Yep. Um, but any, anything new that I shoot risks all the other videos. So how do you see your results in New Hampshire? Like, do you think that you made an impact? Yeah, it feels like it's been pretty efficient. Um, you know, I don't have a lot to compare it to because I really wasn't, wasn't much of an activist before I moved. Yep. Um, but, if, you know, if you think about it, uh, it it's always kind of nice to look at what you're doing and say, what's something where I made an actual, you know, difference with very little effort? Um, and there are a couple things. Like, there's one, like, an, I can look at the Manchester City Charter, and I did change that. Or I, I didn't change it by myself, but I made a difference between it being changed and not changed. And the change is massive, actually. Um, so it's a thing called a spending cap. And it, it restricts the government of Manchester from uh, raising spending more than the rate of inflation. And you helped with that? Yeah. And uh, so I collected 1,400 signatures um, wow. when I lived in Manchester. And that resulted in, like, they wouldn't have been able to get that on the ballot without my 1,400 signatures, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's really so nice. um, I just stood out in front of City Hall. It was a lot of fun. I got a lot of videos. I got attacked a few times, you know, by angry Democrats. <laughs> not, not not physically, but, you know, they'd get the cops called on me. Or, um, uh, you know, people would come up and try to interrogate me. And uh, so uh, that there was, a, it was the New Hampshire, this is the New Hampshire Advantage Coalition was leading that effort. And so they would, they just, without those 1,400 signatures, they wouldn't have had enough to put it on the ballot, right? So it went on the ballot in 2008 and it passed and so ever since then manchester government has lived under this yoke <laughs> i like to think of it as the ridley yoke <laughs> nice uh even though again like i said i couldn't have done it without a lot of other people but they couldn't have done it without me so i just know that i i know that i made the difference between success and failure and there are there are another five or six people that can claim the same thing in manchester that's really nice well, it also seems like I feel like I made the difference uh, with the the, uh, the secession legislation. I don't mm -hmm. think there would have been secession legislation if I hadn't moved here um, and gotten involved in that. Uh, I don't know for sure, but I think I made the difference between that happening and not happening. Yeah, There's I'd also agree. about you know, five or ten other people that can say each one of them individually made the difference between it not happening and happening, right? Yeah. So, I agree with that. Uh, all five or ten of us uh, share that distinction. And, and again, any one of us had not been part of the, the mix. It never would have happened. So that's a good feeling. Um, that, that feels more like striking at the root. Um, and what got you interested in secession? I guess, uh, I guess it must have been my experiences in Bosnia. You went to Bosnia? Uh, yeah, I was in Bosnia in 92 and 95 as an unembedded videographer. Hmm. And uh, I learned, I, I speak Serbian now. I learned to speak Serbian while I was there. Oh. Uh, so, and I have, I wasn't really there that long. I, I Most of my learning was actually while I was in Kansas, while I was driving. Mm -hmm. But I just expecting to be over there. And uh, so but that was a secession crisis that went badly. And uh, but I still sympathize with the with the with the secessionists, I guess, I guess. 
they seemed to have a stronger case than the people that wanted to keep them in Yugoslavia. Uh, and of course, there was there was also Slovenia and Croatia. I was in both of those places, which had like Slovenia had a brief war of secession, and Croatia had a more lengthy one, uh, which they they won. And then Bosnia, they had a secession crisis and war, but they um, they were not very successful. They the Bosnia wound up partitioned, and they, the the situation is likely to it's not really resolved. So it, it's a little bit complicated, but I definitely was able to comprehend, you know, even in, in the nineties without being a libertarian, that, wow, this central government thing is really bad news. And the people that want to break away and form their own smaller governments, the smaller state are, are obviously closer to being in the right. Mm-hmm. So that started me down the path, even though I wasn't in favor of, of uh, secession in the United States at that time, I guess that started me down the path. And that was a while before you moved to New Hampshire. So it, what made you start, like, or did you do any kind of secession activism in New Hampshire, like, you know, holding signs in front of the federal buildings or anything? Uh, I guess I didn't really start doing any independence activism in New Hampshire until maybe, wow, I'm just trying to remember. It's so, it was so gradual. It must have been around 2009 or so. I mean, I started calling, occasionally I'd call talk radio and maybe ask public officials if they supported, if, if they felt like it was time for New Hampshire to leave the union. Because they, they, there was always, you know, you'd have these government officials on on the radio in New Hampshire complaining about how bad the federal federal government was. So why not ask them, okay, so is it time to leave the federal government maybe? And then they would say no. They would always laugh, <laughs> you know. Um, they, You know, they weren't really laughing at me. They were laughing with me, but they, the concept was just, it was completely crazy talk. Uh, and, you know, I think now that you mention it, I must have I must have been discussing this on the Internet as early as 2007, because I remember uh, I remember discussing it on a I remember discussing it from from a from a job. <laughs> Actually, while well, my downtime, I was I was logged into a uh, one of the. Um, websites in 2007 talking about independence so yeah i think yeah i I remember someone denouncing it as crazy talk in 2007 because i had written about it okay so 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 i can say i guess it must go back to about 2007 maybe you could tell me a bit about just like your ridley report protocol like what do you do when you leave the house to go start a ridley uh well i'll just drive to usually a government uh, meeting of some kind and just stand right outside the government meeting so that as the politicians and bureaucrats come and go from the meeting, then that gives me a chance to ask them questions. What kind of questions do you ask them? So if possible, I'd like to ask some questions that are relevant to whatever they're doing that day or to that particular committee or whatnot. But a lot of times it's, you know, it's not real efficient to like, where do you find information about a licensing board at a town? Right. Like, where would you find out anything they've ever done in the there'd be nothing on the Internet about them except that they exist. Right. So I don't I really don't know what they've been doing over the last year or 10 years. I don't I don't know how to ask them, you know, usually about a particular incident that might have occurred a year ago or or a prosecution that they might have engaged in or something like that uh, or, you know, a persecution, whatever. Uh, It's really difficult to find that kind of information. But what I can do is ask them more general questions, you know, such as, you know, the the most popular one is you're going to be, 
okay, so you're on, you know, are you on this board? Okay, so can you tell me something you've done while you're on this board to help reduce taxpayer expenditures? Yep. Uh, or, you know, like a, a school board is, is nice because you can say, okay, so the number of students has been going down, correct? So when was the last time your budget went down? And you, so you, you just get <laughs> these questions, you get these wildly different reactions, but the reactions are telling usually like, oh my gosh, I can't believe somebody asked me that question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I can't think of anything I've ever done to reduce expenditures. I don't think that's my job. <laughs> or, uh, oh yeah, I reduced expenditures by raising this expenditure. <laughs> so... Uh, there's all kinds of questions you can ask at almost any government meeting, right? Yeah, I've seen you ask uh, if they've reduced taxpayer costs. <clears throat> um, I, I, I need I need more questions though, because sometimes I sometimes I feel like I ask that question maybe a little too much. Hmm. <laughs> Can't think of any right now. Maybe like, do you think that yeah. what you're doing is good? Do you feel like a good person for doing that? Well, not everyone in the room thinks I'm a good person. <laughs> uh, some, some folks are like a lot of times they'll stop and they'll tell me, no, you, that's not how you should ask questions. This is how we ask questions here. <laughs> wow. That's what happened on the last on the last uh, round. Or sometimes they'll grab grab my try to grab for my camera or they'll call the police on me. Um, so th- no, that's when the videos get really interesting because then it becomes about all about the right to record. As opposed to whether they've reduced expenses as much as I think they should, right? Which is a much weaker position to be in. Yeah, well, for a video. But yeah, but yeah, you know, right and wrong is is really a, a lot simpler than people want to make it, right? Um, right and wrong is just a question of you know of whether you've committed an act of aggression, basically. And if I you agree. Committed an act. If no aggression, no grievance, right? If if you haven't committed an act of aggression, you're probably not doing anything wrong. I mean, there are rare exceptions to that, and you know there are some things you can do um, that are better than others. That are you know both both choices are non-aggressive, but one might be more moral than the other. Yeah. But mainly, mainly what divides right and wrong in the world and in the universe and in all the universes, I suspect, is uh, that question: Are you committing an act of aggression or not? I agree with that, really, and. I'm glad that you think that because I think that people with like this idea of moral relativism, like, oh, it might be not okay to you, but it's okay to me, blah, 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 that they just don't have any foundation and they go haywire and they end up government stooges or whatever. So, yeah, and you know, we can plug that question in, you know, the, is it an act of aggression? So can someone say, Dave, you're committing an act of aggression by walking into a public building and asking civic questions right in a relatively polite manner is that an act of aggression most people are going to say no <laughs> but i can point to the act but if I, but all these people that i'm asking questions of essentially all of them are committing some act of aggression uh you know right there in the building right um they're they're taxing people they're making people pay a tax they're spending other people's money against you know their will uh, you know, all of the things that the government does basically are acts of aggression. So there's no there's no difficulty drawing a, a moral uh, line there. Whatever faults I might have, at least I'm not committing acts of aggression against other people. Yep. 
And that's what actually yesterday, whenever the activists were standing there talking to that cop, Valancourt, I just wanted to ask him like if he thinks he is doing a good thing, but I was like, I'd rather just not talk to the cop. Well, I don't know. Having seen you talk to cops, I, I think you probably should do it more. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, you know, because I, I remember there was that event where we were at the federal building in, in Concord, and I, you know, was interacting with a federal marshal. But you were interacting better because you're like, hey, when are you giving my boyfriend back? <laughs> <laughs> Why is this? How come you're, what do you, you shouldn't be, you know, and so you, you actually had a, you know, I think your, your discussion with him was a lot more interesting than, interesting than mine. You know, as long as you're not providing them with incriminating information, right? Yeah. Um, as long as you, you want to be asking, it's good to interact with police as long as you're asking questions, right? But if you start handing them information, that's when you want to, be really cautious about doing that yeah right have you ever asked um them if they're if they believe that they're harming anyone or doing anything wrong by being in the government uh is it right to yeah you know i should probably ask that question more good okay uh yeah is it right to do what you did you know when you voted uh, on that budget right you yeah. know that everyone's going to be forced to pay that, and some people are going to be thrown out of their houses, you know, uh, possibly if they can't pay. So, yeah, that's a question I don't ask enough. I should probably ask it more. It would probably get them, like, you know, all mad at you and probably make good videos, hopefully. Well, I mean, if you think about it, that's what tipped, that's what, that's what freaked the IRS office out, was just that question, right? Are, is it right to work for the IRS? Oh, I yeah. want you to leave. I'm calling Homeland Security. I'm calling the local police. We're having you sent to court. Then you're going to be arrested and, you know, and stripped of all your clothes and blinded temporarily. Hmm. Right? Did she, I mean, she, did she think all that through before she called the Homeland Security people? She probably doesn't care because she works for the IRS, so she's already she a bad person. She probably doesn't. She wasn't, she's not, she, yeah, she doesn't, didn't strike me as being a good person all around, yeah. So, okay, you get in your car, you drive to a meeting, you go and ask them questions. What do you do if there's just no, uh, you know, meeting? Like, do you you go to like government buildings a lot of the time? I'm I'm not really a uh, technically a First Amendment auditor. Hmm. So if you just wander into a building, hi, I'm here to film the walls, uh, and anyone that comes and goes, uh, it, it doesn't seem like that's as useful as going to a meeting for some reason. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't seem to have the same kind of public support, or maybe, or maybe the thing to maybe the way to put it is that you're more you get more opposition from the public when you're just wandering through a government building randomly. Hmm. Um, and it's not as it's not as respected or popular, I guess, as the idea of asking questions at a government meeting. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's true. All of the first minute auditors have like they have fans, but they also have serious haters. Yeah, you know, and I've got, when, especially when the channel was bigger, I had some haters, but um, mostly people were kind of like, yeah, what's there to be against here exactly? And police, is, it's really interesting to watch police reactions and how actually popular the Ridley Report was with police, you know, when it was popular. Wow. Uh, I was considered more of a celebrity than an enemy, so <laughs> police would come up and introduce themselves to me, or they'd, uh, you know, like there was one... Well, I was at a I was at a presidential primary event in in 2012, and there was a there was a policeman, you know, like 
300 yards away from me, right? Like a third of a kilometer. <laughs> and he recognized me and he started waving, Ridley Report! <laughs> <laughs> and this is a cop, right? You know, the Concord police officer. So uh, the idea is like, is like Sun Tzu said, you don't want to destroy the enemy. You want to capture the enemy. Um, you, you know, capture those chariots capture those enemy soldiers and then convert them to be your soldiers, right? That's how you win. Um, so that, that, to me, that felt pretty good, you know, whenever that, would, that kind of thing would happen. So do you have any opinions on what you would like to see new movers doing to New Hampshire or would you like, like more activism you wish you would be seeing? You know, it really sounds simple, but I really wish more people would just get on the web forum. Uh, there is the, the uh, for, forum.shiresociety.com. Uh, it, it would just be nice to have more people watching that and posting there. Um, because in the, in the 2005 era, when web forums were common and, and heavily trafficked, um, it was a lot easier for uh, everyone to kind of connect with each other. And <clears throat> there's all these chat groups that are sort of behind firewalls right now. So, you know, there's a ton of discussion going on and I can't see it. I can't see some of it. I can see other parts, but not all of it. <clears throat> it's, it's, if it's not public, it's not easy to share. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, I, I just, I think web forums were a really useful way of spreading information and, and talking, you know, keeping a community together. And I'd like to see more people on, on that forum to, to bring back some of what we lost uh, when the web forums went away and Facebook sucked all the air out of the room. Hmm. Do you have any plans for like future Ridlios already? Do you have anything planned? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I may be going out to some more government meetings. In the next week or two, I'm on the fence as to whether to take this trip because the meetings aren't as interesting as I would like. Yeah, there's, you know, been some talk of trying to get me at some, get me to some um, presidential primary visits. I'd like to visit some of the presidential primary candidates. I try to ask them questions. I've done that in the past, uh, but those are difficult to hit because they usually only provide a few days' notice that they're going to be in town. Some of them don't provide any notice, don't have anything on their websites, and they just sort of show up and no one knows about it but their friends in the media. Um, so it will be difficult for me to shoot a lot of interviews at presidential primary events, but that would be a, like a priority type of thing to, to visit if I can. I, I, don't, I don't have a vehicle, so I don't, I don't get to a lot of uh, places. And logistics sometimes you know, drives policy when it's the Ridley Report, I guess. Uh, yeah, I can always talk and fill space. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a, I have problems, but not that one. It's okay. I'm, I'm not going to like put this recording up. Maybe, I, I mean, maybe I could edit it a bit and put it up if you wanted me to. That'd be good. Oh, you mean like, I'm, I'm not following you. Oh, I recorded this phone call. But I was saying, uh, you don't need to fill space because I'm not going to post it anywhere. But then I was thinking, oh, no, maybe I could post this somewhere if you wanted me to. It's just audio. Yeah, if you think about it, yeah, a lot of people, uh, that's how I do the Internet, is I, I would just download and listen to, you know, three or four podcasts a day um, while I'm eating and stuff like that. 
And I think that's really a useful, like, it's really efficient way to spread information because if you if you take an interview and then you have to edit it down, that takes a lot of time. But if you just air it, you know, the way it originally was, yeah. uh, then that actually that actually turns into sort of a podcast and people like it. It's just like kind of like with Free Talk Live. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I could use that. I didn't even really think about it. I was just filming it so I or recording it so that way I could remember everything. That's that's what I do with the the Riddler report is I just I only film what I want to put on YouTube or well BitChute now <clears throat> so I'll come back and I don't have to add, actually edit it so I don't turn the camera on unless there's something interesting happening and and then I don't I don't edit things to make them shorter after I've shot them I just take pretty much everything I shot and just throw it straight up on the air and that's good because well yeah. people can believe that it all happened the way it happened. Yeah, I mean, there are exceptions, you know, like if the camera's aimed at the ground accidentally for 10 minutes, I don't subject viewers to that. But hmm. um, but yeah, if there's, a, if, if there's a way to avoid editing something, that that is like huge, a huge time saver. And it seems like audiences kind of want that, too. They don't want to be told what they're going to be interested in and what they're not. Okay, well, is there anything you'd just like to add now? Uh, nothing I can think of, but you can... Uh, you can uh, uh, watch me on uh, RidleyReport.com. Uh, I, I should probably make a song so it's easy to remember. RidleyReport.com. Okay. Well, thank you, Ridley. Thank you for letting me call and interview you and everything. <laughs> and that's where you can go if you want to buy an ad, too. So, RidleyReport.com. Um, 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 um. Okay. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Ridley, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Um, but I'm definitely going to try to make this like a big tweet. I'm going to like share it around and try to get people to follow it. And just, I don't know, you're going to be a part of my series of tweets about history in New Hampshire. And I wanted you to be first because, well, we didn't even get in. There's so much stuff that you've done that we didn't even get into the Bitcoin Gandhi thing. But ever since you did Bitcoin Gandhi, I've just thought you were the best activist in New Hampshire. Oh, thanks, Bonnie. Well, I'm glad somebody thinks that. <laughs> this has been Bonnie's Activist Archives. Bah!